What up, AOTA family? This is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I am here to present to you our live keynote from this year's Student-Centered Learning for Equity Conference in Minnesota. We mentioned in our previous passing period that we had the great privilege of delivering a keynote at Education Evolving's Super Dope Conference, and we did it AOTA style, delivering a Do Now segment. So this here is a recording of that Do Now, and if you look in the episode notes below, you'll see links to the full conference opening and the student panel and the student musical guest, Quatly, and video of some of the breakout sessions themselves. So those are definitely worth checking out, and we again want to thank everybody at Education Evolving for putting this all together. So without further ado, let's get to it. I'm happy to introduce you all to our keynote speakers, veteran principal leader, Jeffrey Garrett, and high school social studies teacher, Dr. Mayo Rustin, host of Lively Podcast and Education Talk Show, all of the above. Welcome, Jeffrey. And all right. Well, good morning, everyone. So wonderful to be here today. And um, since we can't actually see the screen, could we just get a thumbs up that our what we're seeing is what you're seeing? Can you see our show logo? Okay, great. Oh, no. Okay. You see us. Good. Well, we see you too. Uh, <laughs> so if we could get the, uh, the screen switched over, that would be wonderful. Um, we see it. All right. We are here. So uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I am Jeffrey Garrett, um, representing all the above and uh, so excited to be here with you today. Um, and I'm just going to going to say how we would usually uh, start our show, which is welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals and non-binary pals to a special live episode of all the above. I'm Jeffrey Garrett, one of your co-hosts, and I've been a middle and high school principal and a high school social studies teacher. And as always, I'm joined by... What up, family? My name is Manuel Rustin. I'm a high school history teacher. I'm also known as your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. I teach in the city of Pasadena, which is just outside of downtown Los Angeles, and I'm an 18-year classroom teacher veteran. I have a uh, uh, OG teacher mentor who's watching my students for today so I could be here to share space and learn from y'all and the wonderful students that we have here. Our show, All of the Above, we take a look at different issues affecting our classrooms across the nation, and we have super dope guests from across the nation. We are primarily working out of Southern California, and some of our stories have a bit of a California slant, but recently we've had a bit of a Minnesota slant on our show. We've had several guests from the state of Minnesota, and Jeff, I believe you yourself are familiar, I think, with Minnesota? Mildly familiar. Uh, I grew up uh, right here in the city of St. Paul. Um, spent, yes, yes. St. Paul in the building. Um, I will say today is my triumphant return to the Science Museum. Uh, the last time I was at the Science Museum was the old building on the, on the other side of, of downtown over there. But I'm so excited to see that the T-Rex is still here. Uh, that, that was pretty exciting for me when I walked in this morning, um, but it is a beautiful thing to be back. Um, this is a city I love and a state I love. And my now four-year conspiracy to bring all the above to Minnesota is complete. Um, so thank you for helping me in that effort, everyone. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Um, so we're here to do just a, a one particular segment from our show, which we call the Do Now, which is an opportunity for us to look at stories and headlines across the nation related to education specifically. And I think Jeff, since this is a student-centered learning 
uh, event today, I think we're going to involve the audience in deciding which stories we're actually going to talk about. So if you could share with us how we're going to do that. We are indeed, Manuel. So the do now is here. Um, like any, uh, you know, good traditional lesson, I suppose, we want to jump right in and get people activated. Um, so you see a link on the screen there, which is a live polling link. And we would like everybody in the room, you can get it on a phone, on a laptop, whatever kind of device you have. For our folks who are participating virtually, you can participate as well. Um, but you're going to go to that link. It is a poll where you will see four topics that are the possible topics we can talk about um, in this segment today. And you're going to rank order them. You're going to pick your top two. So you click on the little tile and it'll uh, show you two little arrows where you can move them up or down. So just at least make sure your top two choices are your top two choices. Um, and we'll give folks a minute here to, uh, to get into the poll and vote. And then um, we'll see what the will of the people is. That's where we need that like Jeopardy music. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and again, everybody who's participating virtually, you are invited and encouraged to weigh in as well. We're excited to have you here and uh, please join us. It's working. I see people. Yeah. I hear the I hear the murmur. I hear the murmur. Okay, we're gonna. Full. The poll is full. Too many people. Okay. Well, uh, funny hey. enough, right before we began today, uh, I turned to Matt Well and I said, "You know, if for some reason the poll doesn't work, how are we going to do this? Because uh, we tested it and we tested it, and uh, unfortunately, it's not cooperating we with us today." We did not test it with hundred or so people. We didn't. That might be the that might be the challenge. So here's what we're going to do. We have four options for topics. You see them on the screen there in front of you. The first one is the showdown over trans students' rights. The second one is teaching hard history lessons from around the globe. The third one is what teachers say they need uh, during uh, or coming out of the pandemic. And the last one is school board battleground leads to mass exodus. So those are the four possible topics. We're going to run through them A, B, C, D, and just ask for a show of hands here in the room. And we will make Manuel, I'm going to empower you to make a highly subjective yet scientific it's be precise. assessment it's be precise. of our top two choices. So if you would like us to talk about number uh, letter A, throw a hand up right now, keep it up high so we can see. Letter A, letter A. Okay, hands down. If you would like us to talk about letter B, Hands up. Okay. All right. Hands up. Keep them up. Good. All right. Hands down. Letter C. Okay. Great. Hands down. And last but not least, letter D. Okay. B definitely is number one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks. C and D looked really, really close. Okay. I think C was. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Okay, it's not showing for us, so we're going to go with the scientific B assessment. B and C. B and C. Okay, B and C it is. All right. Yeah, we can get a round of applause for those topics. So we're going to start with teaching hard history. And uh, the way we do our do now, we have a little bit of a format. Today's format is called a lexicon. And as is important in any good learning setting, we have to know what the key vocabulary is, what is important to understand conceptually in order to dig in. So we're going to use a lexicon to talk about some key vocabulary today. Yeah. Starting with 
the very best possible word we could have chosen. Uh, <laughs> I rehearsed this. I practiced this. But then I was thinking, well, what, if they don't choose that story, I won't have to try to pronounce this word in front of 200 people. Um, but here, here we are. And I'm going to do my best. For Goggen Heights, Afa Baitung. Nice, nice. Any, Any German speakers in the room? Any? No? So we'll uh, just we say got that one thumbs up. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boom. Perfect elite pronunciation there. And um, in this case, this, this term here is the German term for the process of coming to terms with the past. And this relates to a story that we picked up from Chalkbeat, Tennessee, written by Natasha Robinson, who is British, but grew up mostly in South Africa and has been thinking about how different countries approach their reconciliations with the past and teaching about eras of the past and their shameful histories. And she came up with some patterns across a few different countries, in particular, South Africa and Canada. And uh, she mentions Ireland and she also mentioned Germany and how they approach their shameful past in terms of teaching and reconciling with it. And she came up with a few patterns, a few lessons learned from reviewing how those countries face their most shameful chapters. And uh, lesson one was to embrace discomfort. She pointed, she noted that these countries mandate the teaching of aspects of their history that some will find shameful or, or difficult to teach. And she says, mandating that is very important because that helps result in resources, training, and gives teachers permission to tackle emotionally charged subjects. So mandating it, Jeff, that's similar to banning it, what we yes. do here, more or less. <laughs> that's that? almost exactly like banning it. Mandate, yes. ban, all right, yes. all right. Yes. Uh, and she also found that these countries do an excellent job of preparing teachers for these conversations, in particular, uh, thinking about the dynamic nature of these conversations and trying to predict how uh, students might react to particular things and where the conversations might go. And she also says that a lot of these countries look at providing soft introductions. So instead of jumping into the most violent, uh, the most graphic aspects of that history to, to lead up to that and build a foundation first. And she points to uh, a particular novel in Germany that young kids read that kind of sets the basis for um, Nazi Germany and the overall um, foundation of it before they get into the, the graphic horrors of the Holocaust. And she says that there's no clear consensus when it comes to when to start. Now, we've heard a lot of folks say, you know, if, if my child's young enough to experience racism, then your child is young enough to learn about racism, which is true. And she says, actually, there's different different approaches depending on the country to how early students should learn about these histories. She points to South Africa as one where when it comes to slavery and colonialism, they wait into the secondary uh, grades because they want to start first with building a foundation of the brilliance of African kingdoms and what was there before colonialism so that students can appreciate what, what was lost. Whereas um, in Canada, some are saying you got to start earlier because by the fifth grade, if you haven't touched on settler colonialism yet, they've already ingrained it and are already viewing the world through a settler colonial lens. And now there's unlearning to do. So no consensus on when to start, but it's particular uh, attention needs to be paid to the actual uh, content and actual communities there. And lastly, she said it's important to uh, make it part of your national identity in South Africa, Germany, Canada. They see this recognition of the past as something to better understand the nation and not something that's considered anti or unpatriotic or anything like that. So Jeff, I think, I think uh, that's pretty much the same thing we do here, right? So that's nothing to talk about. Exactly. I see we have some other vocabulary words to go over that's with you after the show, Manuel, like mandates and the same. Um, so yeah, so I love this article. I think it's a, a fascinating perspective because very often when we talk about education in this country, I think we speak about it as though school only exists in America. 
right? right. Um, as though there's not billions of people going to school across the world or who have gone to school across the world. And that many of the things that we assume are just politically too difficult to do or, you know, are logistically challenging some way are just not possible, right? Rather than simply arbitrary choices that we have made uh, in different parts of this country. And so I love that it's just, you know, expanding the universe of possibility for us uh, in a way that's really important because of the topic, right? Because we have such an issue in this country with not being able to look in the mirror not being able to have even an honest retelling of what our history has been. And then we are tasking educators with, uh, with teaching, you know, a, a inclusive, culturally responsive approach to history or telling them they can't even attempt to do that because it might be illegal, depending upon the state or district that you're in, or students could report you to a commission with the, the state attorney general should you live in, say, New Hampshire, right? So uh, I love where this article is pushing us. My honest first reaction, though, was I am a little more in the camp of folks who say, like, if my child is, you know, old enough to start experiencing racism and the effects of our problematic history, then we are all old enough to start talking about it at the very young ages. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a psychologist, not an expert on teaching of right. kindergarten per se, but I think there's a developmentally appropriate way we can tackle tough historical issues, honestly, at almost every level, right? Fairness and how one is treated relative to one's peers is essentially a fundamental human concept that kids can understand even sometimes in the in the like mildly verbal stages of of childhood development so i think that in as much as this article is pushing i want to push us even further to say not only should we be uh talking about tough historical topics at all grade levels and in content areas that don't just include history and maybe english right but we should be doing so at the youngest possible levels. We have such a fundamental challenge in our society and such a deeply ingrained uh, resistance to any type of honest assessment of what has happened in this country from you know, colonialism and manifest destiny to slavery to patriarchy and you know, sexism to all of the isms, right? Um, and we are compelled, I think, to have these conversations. So I'm excited. This article is helping us move in that direction. But I think I would say we push even further. Yeah. Yeah. So I teach mostly juniors and seniors. I teach ethnic studies in my particular district. Ethnic studies counts as their U.S. history credit. And it's new in our district this year. And I can say in terms of this, uh, her point about uh, making a part of your national identity, I think the the more we stray away from looking at this as something that helps build us up to understand who we are, how we got here, and then what the paths are ahead. The more we shy away from that, the harder it becomes for students, and then they become angry. So students, when, when they learn difficult content in my classroom, they're angry not just at what happened, but they're angry that it was held from them, like, like it was a secret that they weren't privy to. And it's incredibly important to make sure that we address that. In terms of the early ages, We've had some guests on our show who are elementary teachers and who spoke about how they approach it in different grade levels. And I think that is certainly important. I just, I, I know that some teachers perhaps need much more preparation in how to do that. So she talked about how much preparation teachers receive in these, uh, in these countries to, to do this. As an ethnic studies teacher, 
it's it's spreading throughout California because it's now a high school re- graduation requirement in the state of California. And not every school is ready for that because there are teachers who are not ready to deal with that content and deal with uh, that subject matter in a responsible way. So I, I really think that before, for me personally, before we ask teachers to make sure you include this in your third or fourth grade lesson plans, I want to make sure the teacher knows how to responsibly do that and has a, a view of it that that will help build students up rather than just like send them out the door hating everything. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. There, there is an interesting question that you're raising there, which is, is is bad teaching of of tough, tough history uh, worse than no teaching of tough right. history? Yeah. Uh, which is, an, you know, that's one to, one to think about. Um, so I do appreciate the prepared teachers. Uh, and I would say, you know, we should probably expand that to prepare educators because not only teachers in school buildings who are having conversations about these things, but fair point on that. I would like to just say in closing, the, uh, the make it part of our national identity. I think there is an aspect of liberation that we are afraid of, I think, collectively um, in this country, that if we talk about the secrets, it's going to somehow bring us down. It's going to make us, um, you know, continue to embody the shame that may come from some of those secrets. And I think Quite the opposite is true. And I, and I would imagine there are many people in this room, uh, I see some heads nodding, who, who think similarly, right, that actually what we get from facing these tough conversations is some moment of pain and discomfort. But then there's also the liberation that comes with the knowledge of what has happened, the understanding of the moral landscape upon which we are operating as educators, and then the call to do right by our students and interrupt these patterns going forward. And so I think that's what, um, you know, what really resonated with me in this piece and and what I think um, is hopeful about, despite this dark moment we are in right now politically, is hopeful about the possibility for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jeff, we have another lexicon term. One more before we get out of here. What do we got? What do we got? We do. Okay. So um, our next term. Um, Not that one. Sorry. Uh, in the wrong um, in the wrong order there. My apologies. Our next term is uh, a great word. Just a great word. Vociferate, Manuel. Vociferate. Uh, this one might have been on the SAT when you uh, when you sat for yeah. it. Many, yeah. How many years ago now? That's not important. We're running out. We got to just keep moving. <laughs> uh, vociferate is to uh, rectangle as right. What, what's what's the right answer? To, to shout and speak loudly uh, or maybe complain. But I don't like when teachers speak up. I don't like referencing that as complaining. But I think it is to complain loudly. Right. I think you are. Something you like are that. correct. Certainly in this context, uh, we have had some teachers vociferating uh, on uh, what they need and what we need in education. And this story comes to us from the organization Educators for Excellence, who just recently released a national survey, fascinating national survey, um, that was put together by a group of 15 of their uh, teacher members from around the country, um, who are all K-12 educators. And um, this is, we think, uh, perhaps the only national educator survey that has both a overall um, assessment and a uh, disproportionately uh, overrepresented sample of educators of color to make comparisons um, nationally. So some fascinating data here, which we're going to get into. So 
um, there were essentially three big buckets of topics that, uh, that came up from this survey. The first of which was how the great resignation, the so-called great resignation is impacting the classroom. And uh, this maybe revealed some things that might be a little counterintuitive to folks, right? Nationally, we've heard a lot about people just, you know, quitting jobs and, and going uh, places for better wages. I think we've had a lot of fear that that might be the case for educators as well. Um, however, 86% of respondents uh, to this survey overall said that they were very or somewhat likely to spend their entire career um, as a classroom teacher. Um, however, only 52% of educators of color said the same. Also, uh, just under 80% of respondents said higher salary is the issue that would most likely keep teachers in the profession. And yet among educators of color, 82% of them said the issue that would most likely keep them in the profession is professional support and leadership opportunities, right? So some fascinating uh, gaps there when we look demographically at the data. One more topic I do wanna um, share about in the survey is teachers' views on what they need in the wake of the pandemic, right? Um, and 60% of respondents said engagement in school is way down this year across all demographics, grades, and school types. So this includes things like learning, completion of homework, um, participation in class, and attendance. Uh, and parallel to that, very relatively few um, educators felt that the government should continue to require, the federal government should continue to require states to administer assessments this school year. Only 53% of educators said that. Um, so, and only 11% said that they should, uh, the federal government should hold districts and states accountable as usual. So, uh, Manuel, some surprising or maybe counterintuitive results in there, some maybe more in line with what we might think. You as the classroom teacher on the panel here, uh, what would you like to vociferate about? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I used that correctly right there. Uh, it's all good. Please vociferate for sure, us. Sure, sure. So the interesting, one interesting note was how many students, uh, how many students, so you said speaking about students, how many teachers said higher salary is what would help keep them in the classroom versus teachers of color where uh, the overwhelming majority said, actually it's leadership opportunities and, and professional support, which to me means pay me, but also respect me and help me be included in decision-making and help me see a path forward. Uh, I know as a, a black teacher myself, my first year, it was like, oh, you're so great with the difficult students. And it was like piling on the most uh, challenging, quote unquote, challenging students into my classroom. And I felt very used in that sense. I think a lot of educators of color could somewhat uh, relate to that. But in terms of the, in the wake of the pandemic, 60% of folks saying that student engagement is down since before the pandemic. I'm surprised the number's not higher. I know at my school site, teacher after teacher after teacher is telling me about how much they're struggling. Uh, lessons and in, in, in units that used to really excite and energize their students now just falling flat and they're running out of ideas of what to do. And I think uh, one, one element of that is what Eduardo said early on, like everything's on the internet. Like if you're just teaching content straight up with no, no critical thinking, no engagement, no, no like participation in actually developing it, then whatever, I'll just Google it, I'll find it that way. And I think that's been the case for a long time, but it's even more so the case now, but also, Students are looking around at a world where what we told them is going to work out doesn't always work out anymore. So we've been telling them, go to college, go to college, go to college. And they're hearing all these stories about student debt. And they're hearing, hearing all these stories about folks who went to college and now are struggling to find work that pays them enough to actually buy a house and, and, and live a good life. Uh, a lot of things that we, a lot of the messages that we gave them before the pandemic 
simply aren't adding up. So students are like, all right, whatever, whatever. I've seen that in a lot of my own students. And for me, the approach that has helped me resolve that and get through to them is by including them as much as possible in the actual content itself. So we're doing our, our YPAR projects right now, youth participatory action research, where young people choose the issue in their community that they want to uh, research and want to uh, develop action plans for. And they're in it. They're in it. Like, I don't even have to like get them off their phones for that because they're, they're locked in on developing their instruments, their survey instruments and, and deciding on their methodology and all that. So I think it's on us, the onus is on us as educators to make the education experience worth it for these students because we're competing against, of course, social media and all the online apps and all that stuff. Um, but also we're, we're, we're helping young people try to make sense of a world that simply does not make sense right now. And the onus is on us. So if my student is sitting back there, just, uh, just unengaged and not interested, it's on me to figure that out because I'm not me coming at the student in a punitive way, isn't going to help anything at this point. So that's, I'm surprised it's not more than 60% of respondents saying that engagement is down since before. Yeah, I, I was definitely surprised by that as well. Um, but I think I'm going to jump back to the, the first data point um, that we shared, which was, 86% of educators saying they are likely to spend their entire career in the profession. And as a former principal, as a person who works with a, a district, a large district, uh, it is just simply a miracle that that number <laughs> is real right now. Like the last two years have been incredibly difficult. And, and that is probably the most polite way uh, to describe what has taken place. And the fact that on the on the back end of that, we're still seeing, you know, close to nine out of 10 educators saying, yes, this is this is still where I want to be. I was deeply surprised by that, um, you know, and felt like even the best teachers that I know, and and like this guy sitting to my left here, uh, we had a couple conversations over the last two years about like, I don't know, are there other things I could do? Like, this is incredibly difficult. Teaching blank Zoom boxes for a year is among the most demoralizing things one can do, right? Um, and so I think on one hand, we should just be astounded by this and like hug a teacher, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. thank you for being willing to continue to do this. Things are and can continue to get better, but like, wow, teachers are incredible uh, is my, my first rep. Yeah, we can, we can yeah. clap for that. Um, and I, I don't know if you surveyed principals, if that number would be the same. My hunch is it would be lower. So definitely hug a teacher and, and pat a principal on the back as well. Uh, okay. so. That was my first reaction. Second reaction, Manuel, was also uh, when we think about engagement, right, and engagement being down, we, there was so much talk. I don't know how many webinars I went to. This is probably true for lots of other people here as well. Uh, in the early days of the pandemic, they were all about, we got to revolutionize education. This is the moment. We're going to change this, and we're going to change that. And uh, I've been to a number of schools uh, this school year. I'm very fortunate I get to go to lots of schools. And I've seen very few of those schools doing anything different that they were doing in substantively, other than the fact that all the kids have Chromebooks now. So that's cool. But not a whole lot of substantive difference from the way things were in 2020, right? In February of 2020, before it all changed. And so, yes, there are distinctions. Yes, we have learned some things. But I do think there is a uh, perhaps an educator-driven need to revisit that conversation about what needs to be different now, because students have been through a lot, we've been through a lot, this institution and the economy and society that surrounds it is not exactly the same as it was, and so we need to revisit some of the big questions about how we use our time, and what are the goalposts in education, and do they need to move now 
in some ways, because as you said, you know, the, the payoffs are perhaps different than they were. The rules have shifted in some ways, but like the mandates from the state about seat time and the state tests and the things that really put bars around what things can be done in schools across the country haven't moved, right? We had a lot of rhetoric about change, not a lot of policy that enabled change to happen, um, apart from places where individual folks were really, you know, just doing trailblazing work. So that's what this calls me to, to think about. Yeah, amen. Um, I could go on. I could go on about this year, man, and what, what's going on in the classroom. It's been a year. It's been tough, man, but I agree. Hug a teacher. Or Wakanda salute from a distance. Not I like touch. the Wakanda salute. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. I think we are just about to wrap up now. We end each show. We have we talk about a lot of topics on our show, and sometimes it's um, a reminder of how much work there is left to be done. So we like to always end on a positive note. And for us, that's our class dismissed segment where we like to shout out folks uh, doing great things in the world of education. And for today's class dismissed, we thought it'd be appropriate to shout out all the young people who are part of today's events. And give it up yeah, for all the young people. Give it up, give it up, folks. get up, get up. So I'm, I'm going to give a couple of specific shout outs to the youth who are involved today. And actually, even before that, I do that, I want to give a shout out to Education Evolving for helping uh, to make today's event happen. What you see on the screen there is their uh, model for student-centered learning. I think we often talk about student-centered learning. There's not necessarily enough places where we are, are attempting to, to live by it. So, um, so props to them, props to you all for being here, and props to these amazing sets of young folks. We have uh, our two wonderful youth hosts uh, or MCs for today. Uh, we have yeah. youth who joined us via Zoom. Uh, wonderful to hear from them and folks across the region here, which is great. Um, youth from Youth Lens 360 are here today and going to be interviewing adults, so be on the lookout for that. Um, we have um, youth from Bridgewalkers um, who are going to be leading roundtable discussions today, and then we have a very special musical performance coming up uh, from Quatley in just uh, a moment here, so we would like all the youth in the room to please stand for a moment and be acknowledged. Please stand up. Yeah, stand on up. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for your service, for your leadership today, and for um, you know helping us have a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and folks, um, there's flyers, I think, on the tables. You can just scan to get to our, our website. has all the different platforms. We're a video show. We're also you know, a podcast, so you can find us there as well. And if you enter the raffle when you came in, the raffle is for one of these shirts that you see pictured there. If you're interested in any of these Teach the Truth shirts, they're at our website, aotashow.com. Uh, slash support and you'll see all the, the links to the merch and all that. We really want to just extend a, a, a warm thank you to everybody for taking time out to be here today for such an important uh, conference, such an important topic. Uh, we really do hope that you enjoy each of the sessions later and we hope you enjoyed a little bit of our conversation here. Check us out. We release new episodes every week or so, depending on our teacher, principal leader uh, schedule. So yeah, that's about it, I think. All right. Thanks, thanks everybody. Appreciate y'all.